always lovely to return and be with you again to open up the scriptures and to share God's word with you. When Linda spoke at the beginning, <coughs> is this fun? You're coming more technical. <coughs> Linda spoke about what Jesus said, come to me if you're heavy laden and I will give you rest. She said an interesting thing though, she just read the scripture and it said, come to me and let me teach you. You see, that's what she said, let me teach you. In coming just to him, we don't receive much. He has to teach us. And when he teaches us and we receive what he says, and we put that into operation in our life, that's when we receive of the Lord. Because it is by faith. It is by faith. It is not by turning up. It is by faith and the application of taking the word of God and applying it to our hearts that transformation can take place in our hearts. So I've always still no, you'd expect the preacher, teacher of the word to say something like that, wouldn't you? I mean, the worship was wonderful, absolutely fantastic. And obviously gathering around the table and sharing communion together. That was brilliant, but this is brilliant too. So listen to what God has to say to you, because if we're listening carefully, we should learn all the time something new, something different, not just the same old, the same old all the time. And as we apply what we hear to our lives, transformation takes place. It takes place because the word that is written in this book, every word it says is God-breathed. In other words, there is life in, these, in the scriptures. This isn't just a book, it's scripture. And because it's breathed of God and in God's breath is life, there's life. And as we take these words and we apply them to our heart and to our mind, they have the effect of transforming us and creating the God life within us. So it's not sufficient to listen, but we have to take it and allow it to do what it wants to do in our lives. I'll turn you to a passage in Romans chapter 12. Romans Paul has done this fantastic job of explaining what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Goes into great depths about what it is. And then when we come to chapter 12, he says, now you have this wonderful salvation. I want you to live in a particular way. The particular way in which he wants us to live is like Jesus Christ. That's it, nothing less, nothing more. We're to live like Jesus. And in uh, chapter 12 and verse 9, it starts that whole passage, there's about um, uh, 12 things listed there, and he starts off as he does with all instruction about loving. He starts with love and then breaks down what love is. He starts that in verse 9, Romans 12, 9, it says, your love must be sincere. The love that we are to love with is the love of God. I want to examine what that means to each one of us this morning. And then in the list that we read here, we're thinking, wow, 
my love would have to be sincere if I'm supposed to do these things, these dozen things that are listed here. So I'm just going to pick on one of them. That's down in verse 16. It says this. It says, live in harmony with one another. Wow, that's a challenge, isn't it? When it says one another, it's talking about the body of Christ. Um, I don't usually, I haven't had a lot of arguments outside of the body of Christ. I suppose my life has been with the body of Christ. And so most of the arguments I've had is with people in the body of Christ. Some for good reasons, some for bad reasons. Some because I was just a sinner. Well, I shouldn't have been. Some because of attitude, some because of pride, some because of all the things that get us into disharmony. But he says here quite clearly, live in harmony with one another. Get on with one another. Don't be proud, it says. This is one of the secrets. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of a low position and don't be conceited. Now, you might choose to do that. But is it possible? Is it possible to do that? God expects it of us, so it must be possible. It's possible because he's done something that has made it possible for his love to enter into us. It's only by his love can we live like this. Before we came to Christ, yes, we loved, but it was very substandard. It was fallen. It was tarnished, as it were. It was broken love. But he says, in coming to Christ now, I can put my love inside of you. So the things that I put here are possible. Jesus is the most amazing person who has ever lived, without a shadow of a doubt. There's never been anyone in all history like him. That's why we come this morning and just worship him because he is worthy of all our praise because of who he is. The way he lived his life on earth. No one like him. The kindest man who ever lived. The most patient man who ever lived. And the most loving man who ever lived. It's only when you read 1 Corinthians 13, you all know that passage very well where it explains what love. It says love is, love is patient, it starts with. It says love is kind. You could put Jesus in there, couldn't you? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. God is patient. God is kind. Cass is patient. Cass is kind. So, you can't say that in the same breath. Oh, I can. I can. Because what has entered into Cass is the very life of God himself. <coughs> and if God is those things, we can be those things as well. He had a... Well, he exhibited a, a contradictory characteristics in his life. Did you notice that? Jesus seemed to be both things. We're not very good at both things. We move along in a certain way and we're not very good at the other half of what we should be. Let me explain to you. Jesus was the wisest theologian that ever walked on the earth. Would you agree with me? 
he was God after all. I mean, God doesn't know what God's all about, but he helped us. So he was the wisest theologian. He was the most profound philosopher. I've read some philosophy books and I've, I got lost actually. I've read a couple of pages and I don't know what he's talking about. I didn't even understand where he's driving at. There's no point reading the rest of the book. I didn't even understand the first few pages. But they said of Jesus, no man spake like this man. No man spake like him. If he was here speaking, you'd just go, wow. You know, it, it would be profound and yet so simple. So simple, you'd get it. He was the greatest leader that ever walked on the earth. It says that by force they tried to make him their leader. They looked for him to make him their king when he fed the 5,000. And he hid himself. He didn't come to be king of this world. He was already a king. He was going to be king of the universe, not simply this world. But at the same time, he's this man. He's a humble servant. See, if you was this man, or even like this man, you'd struggle to be a humble servant. And to be a humble servant, that means he must have been practical. We know he's practical because of the job, the job that he did, the work that he did all his life. A servant. He came as a humble servant. He was down to earth. He was practical. Then I thought, he was God incarnate. God come to earth in human form and lived amongst us. Could there be anyone greater than him? <laughs> and yet he was born in a cow shed. He worked as a builder carpenter. He lived amongst the poor. And he was hung on a cross. What, what a contradiction of life that we see in this man. We see almost opposites all the time because he is so perfectly balanced in his life. In Romans, if you go back just to the previous chapter, in chapter 11 there, uh, it's, called, it's called the doxology uh, in my Bible. This is what it says about him in verse 33 and 34 of chapter 11. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Well, we know the answer. Absolutely nobody. You can't question or fathom God. He wants you to. He wants you to think hard. He wants you to draw close. He wants you to examine the scriptures. It's beyond us. And yet over the page, as I said there in 12 and 9, he says, what I want from you is that your love would be sincere. What a paradox. This enormous, fantastic, wonderful, glorious Christ, he says, just make sure your love is sincere. We try to get our theology as right as we can, don't we? But you got it wrong, haven't you? You've got some of it wrong, I have anyway. I'll admit to that. I admit that I don't know. I don't understand. I make the greatest attempt that I can to understand as much as I can. But when I get to the end of the road, he would have looked at me and gone, 
Philip, Philip, Philip. But he won't chastise me because I never got my theology right. He won't. But he will chastise me if I didn't love you. <laughs> and if it's for me, it's for you. See, your judgment will not be on your theology. I'm not saying theology isn't important. It is. I'm a Bible teacher. I, I would say it's very, very important. But the judgment will fall on, did I love you? Did I love you? Did I love you? Did I love the body of Christ? Was my love for you sincere or not? Why am I saying all these things about Jesus? How does understanding how Jesus was help me to live in harmony with one another? As this scripture says, how does it work? Can I say that Jesus, he possessed a quality of life within him that was far superior to anybody else's life. He was superior in his life to anyone and everyone around him. And yet he could live with them and love them. The ignorant, the aggressive, uh, people who were disadvantaged or rejected, the arrogant, Somehow he loved them all. He loved them. Yes, he had arguments with the Pharisees of the day, and, but he loved them. He loved them. The scripture says in Matthew eleven nineteen, it says, the friends of tax collectors and sinners. That's who he was. A friend of tax collectors, the most despised in the community. He loved them. Sinners. Sinners were people who had given up on God. Jewish people who thought, oh, I can't cope with this. I'm not going to do this anymore. He loved them. He loved them. A little bit later in Matthew 21, 31, it says about the tax collectors and the prostitutes entered the kingdom ahead of others. That means he must have spent time with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He loved them. He loved them. Sometimes we characterize people by what they do, the sins they commit. That's not a good thing to do, is it? Because we would all be characterized as pretty terrible people, really. He loved them. What enabled him to live in harmony and to love these people? Can I suggest to you he had the nature of his father? He had the nature of his father. Let's have a look at the nature of God. When we describe the characteristics, or when scripture describes the characteristics of God, it does it by qualification and explanation. It says something like this in Psalm 23, you know this one. The Lord, that is the Lord God Jehovah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's qualifying. It's, it's, 
It's explaining the characteristic of God. It's, it's, it's explaining what he does. He is a loving shepherd, and so he makes sure you're never in want, you're never lacking. It's, it's, it's explaining his character. And it does this for nearly all the characteristics of God. We talk about all the different names of God, which are his, his character, and then it explains why he had that character. But when it comes to the love of God, it doesn't explain his character. Because it says that God is love. What does that mean? It means that he is love. He doesn't have love. It isn't one of his attributes. It isn't something that he does. He is love. He is love. If you meet God, and you will do, you meet love. That's who you meet. Love. Amen. That's a good point. That's worth a few amens. Thank you. You got it. You got it. See, God doesn't simply love you. He does love you, but not simply that. Because he's in a relationship with you, and he is love, you are in a relationship with love itself. You have to go home and think about this stuff. You just can't get it. You can't get it. You've got it now. in work. But you've got to go home and say, what does this mean then? What does this mean to me? Whenever I talk to God in prayer, I'm not talking to this distant God up in the sky somewhere who has the power and ability to do marvellous things if, if I ask him to. No, you're talking to love. Love. God is love. Therefore, if God is love, and Jesus has the nature of his Father, then Jesus is love. Yes? Imagine when Jesus walked around on the earth. Okay. He was loving. Oh, no, he wasn't. Oh, Philip, he was. He was love. If you met Jesus on the earth, you would have met Love itself. Love himself. Oh, I get it. <laughs> when I got saved, who entered into me? Jesus. The Spirit of Christ entered into me, yes? It says he met with them after the resurrection and he breathed on them. And he said, receive my spirit. Christ lives in me. Therefore, what lives in me? Love lives in me. You get it? I am the personification of love because love lives in me. Now, we've got to apply our minds to something here. Love itself lives in me. Christians talk about trying to do something. Will you stop trying? Will you stop trying to do something? Just be who you are. That's it. 
see where it needs to be renewed in our mind. I'll try and love God better. I'll try and love my neighbour. I'll try. Now stop trying. Recognise who you are. Love has entered into your heart, so you are a lover. Does a dog try to be a dog? I'm sorry, you said dog. He doesn't, does he? He's a dog. He does dog things. He's just dog. He doesn't think I'll do a dog thing. When we were sinners, when we were sinners, we sinned. As we were, we were sinners, so we sinned. It wasn't our sins that made us sinners. It was the fact that we were sinners that we sinned. That's who I was. I was a sinner. So when you meet someone who doesn't know Christ, he's a sinner. He's going to sin, right? He's going to lie. He's going to cheat. He's going to steal. Because that's in who he is as a person. You hope he doesn't. But if it saves his neck, he will. Because he's a sinner. But now, because Christ has entered into us, we're lovers. Amen. 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 See, loving you is now my first nature. It doesn't matter how ugly you are, how nasty you are, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter. I love you. I love you. I love you. You see, once we see this, we stop trying. We just do it. Love your enemies. Love people who despitefully use you. Love them. How is that possible? I find it so difficult. No, I don't. Once you know the truth, the truth sets you free. Amen. You're a lover because God himself lives in you. He used to say we, we followed God by reading the laws of God written on tablets of stone. Right, I'll go away and try that. Oh, failed again. Only remind myself, I'll go away and try that. Oh, I'm for dog again. I'll go. But now he says that the law of God has entered into your heart. He didn't write it in your heart. He lives in your heart. The law of love, God himself, God is love, lives inside of you. You don't have to read it anymore. You do it. You simply do it because of who you are. You say, well, what's changed from when before I was a Christian to now? I loved before I was a Christian. The New Testament has two words in the Greek for love. It's the word filio and it's the word agape. In our natural fallen state, all we have is filio love. It's an affection that we would have for family and friends, say. If we like something, we would express our love towards that thing. If we didn't, we would withdraw our love. It was based on an emotional reaction to things in life. It's called filial love. When we come and receive Christ, we get love's God. Uh, God's love, love's God, God's love poured into us. It's what the Greek call agape love. It isn't based on affection or feeling or emotion. Let me just say a definition of it. It is the actual absorption of every part of our being 
in one great passion. So everything that God is, is love. That's he is. Every, every, everything that he looks at and thinks about and meditates on and says, it flows out of love. It is love itself. He is absorbed with love. Do you know what Jesus tells you to do? Listen, listen. He says you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. It sounds like that same sort of absorption, doesn't it? There isn't anything left with you. I used to think, God, if I really loved you, I'd have no love for anyone else. He said, I'll take care of that. You receive my agape love and you start to love you'll find you have enough love. It'll flow and flow and flow. And Romans 5 and 5 says, God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's though he is a constant, constant source. I get the point. So you said, allow the rivers to flow from you. River of what? River of love, of course. Of course, it is love that changes the world. It is love that took Christ to the cross. It is love that does it all. You know this. Let it flow from you. He said, Paul said this. I never said this. He pitched fire my, my son. He said, listen, we have blockages in us. We have them that stops the flow. One of the biggest blockages is filial love. It's your own natural love. We love people because they're nice to us. We love people because they do us a good turn. We love people because they're not ugly or horrible or nasty. When I say ugly, I don't mean ugly, ugly. You know, when I want to say ugly, ugly, they're nasty in the weather. See, they're blockages. They're blockages. They're blockages because you still want to function with filial love. Get it out. It's part of the old nature. It's part of the old you. You can't love like you loved before you came to Christ. You have to love now with the love of God. If you don't, church is hard work. Christianity is hard work. God's hard work. And life is hard work. It's hard work if we're not filled and continually flowing in the love of God. God knows what's best for us. Come to me, he said. Let me teach you. Let me teach you these things. Stop trying then. Allow the love of God to flow. Paul prays for us that we would experience this. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read from 14 to 19. I'll intersperse with a few little thoughts as we go along. He says, for this reason... The reason that we have this wonderful salvation, he says, I kneel before the Father as Father God, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You are a Christian. Your Father 
is God himself. So you must have the nature of your father. You look at your kids, don't you? And they say, oh, chip off the old block. And I look at one of my boys and I look at another and thinking, oh, he's more like his mama, he's more like his dad, you know. There's bits of this and bits of that. See, they have our nature. Our nature. We have the nature of our father. That's what he said. We're children of his. We have his nature. And then he goes on to pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he might strengthen you with power through his Spirit, where? In your inner being. The Spirit of God. God the Father. God is love. Has entered into your spirit. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, the riches of his love, the riches of his grace, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that, might, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's not sufficient for you to hear the message and say, Hey, it was alright, feel me, it's not good. And then have your dinner, and if I came around tomorrow and said, what did I speak about, you go, I'll oh, forget. See, it's not good enough. And that's not me chastising you, that's me chastising See, Christ loves in our, lives in our heart through faith. You have to exercise faith in this word for it to be powerful within your life. You have to exercise faith. Christ lives in our hearts through faith. You're born again of the Spirit of God. Christ has entered in because of your faith. If you never put any faith in Jesus, he would never have come into your heart. It's all by faith. Amen. And I pray that you be rooted and established in love. It's the most important thing, he says. As God has taken up residence within us, our Christian life is rooted and established in God. And God is love. Rooted and established in love. We may have power together with all the saints. It's together we do this thing in love. Together with all the saints. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. There is no width because it's so wide. There is no depth because it keeps going. There is no height because it keeps going. But increasingly we will understand more the love of God. Do you know what will happen to you in eternity? We've got some insights in the scriptures. You will be ever growing in your understanding of the love of God. Day after day, but there'll be no days in heaven. Moment after moment, there will be no moments in heaven. But it will be an eternity of understanding more and more and more and more and more about the wonder of the love of God. It's progressive. Heaven is progressive. We're not static. No harps, clouds, and all that nonsense. No, no, no. It's, it's progressive life. Live with God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may, and this is the shocker, this last bit, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God's plan is that you will have the same fullness of loving you that God has got in himself. Wow. 
anything. Some might suggest that it's like a seed that's planted, that grows. Mm. I've seen seeds, and when you plant them, nothing grows at all. I mean, you know, I'm not a gardener, you know, people who know me know that. I don't know if it come in concrete, you know, they're painted green and then sweeter. I love gardens, but I don't want to do any of the work, get the cell I'm looking at. But I know that many seeds die. So I don't like to think of God planting seeds in us. I like to think of God himself entering into me and living in my heart and manifesting his life through me. I just have to let him, you see. Just let him. Let him do it. Let him do it. <laughs> do you want some... Mm, do you want to experience that this week? You say, yeah, okay. Something awful is going to happen to you then. Something really miserable. Oh, Philip, no, no. We had an the starting and we were all burdened down. Okay, but you see, what happens is, it's in these situations with difficult people that the love of God manifests itself. And you surprise yourself how loving you have become. You will shock yourself. God doesn't test us so that he finds out what's wrong with us. He tests us so that we will find out what's wrong with us. But it seems a wonderful opportunity to love and to love and to love and to love and to love. We will all stand before Christ one day. And there will be a judgment on our lives. God will not judge us on our giftings. My preaching will not be judged. Because it's a gift. He can't slap me on the back and say, Phil, you did an excellent job. Because it's a gift, you see. When we go before the throne of God, all the giftings that you have, they're not yours, they were his. You lay them to one side. Now I stand before God and I have three things in here that he's going to examine. Do you know what they are? My faith, my hope, and my love. And the greatest of these is his love. I've got to get the love bit right, you see. If you're going to focus on one thing for the rest of your life until Jesus comes or you die, can it be love? Because that's what gets, that's what gets the best reward. That's where the judgment begins and ends. Did you love? Did you love with my love? Did you understand that I poured my agape love into your heart? And all you needed to do was remove the barriers and let my love flow to others. It's a great gospel, isn't it? Can you do that? These telephones on. Unless it's God telling me not interested. But he's already speaking, so ain't God. Come on, church. Come on, sir. Go and deal with it. The message is simple. It's not complicated what I've said. 
And you knew that, you knew it anyway, you knew it. You didn't have to even come and hear it. But you were reminded again. So when you want to say something to someone, ask the question, is it necessary? Will it help? Or should I just be silent? Often love is silent. Often love is silent. Because when it's not loving, you'll only kick yourself afterwards. When you're sitting at home thinking, why did I do that? Why did I say that? I'll give him a piece of my mind. No, don't give him a piece of mind. If you have to explain something to him, do it lovingly. We shouldn't get away with anything, of course. But make what you do in love. <coughs> Let's pray together. Father, I don't know um, a greater message to preach than the love of God. Because I'm preaching you in your totality, as it were, who you are. And Lord, we want to be like Jesus. We do. We don't want to follow him at some distance. We want to get close. And we want that love that he's poured into our hearts to flow to the body of Christ. And then outside to the world. That all men might know who you are. Help us, Father, this week. By the power of your spirit. Strengthen us. As we go through tricky things, Lord, cause your love to grow in our hearts. Cause it to be manifested, we pray, that all men will know that we are your disciples because of the way that we love one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.